Henry Ward Beecher. Uh, he once said, the church is not a gallery uh, for the exhibition of eminent Christians. Rather, it's a school for the education of imperfect ones. Let that sink in. It is so important that we grasp this, that every church is filled with people in process, and that's you and that's me. We're in process. Uh, Some of you have made tremendous strides in Christ-likeness. Your life today is not what it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, and, and you smell like Jesus to us, and we're very thankful for that. Uh, but you're not done. You're not yet fully like Christ. None of us, the process won't end for any of us this side of eternity. And it's so important that we understand that we and everyone around us is in process. We are becoming. That's so important for our own proper self-understanding and so that we relate to other people in the church in a healthy way. Uh, there was a pastor in Boston, Gordon McDonald, and, and he likened the sanctification process to clearing a field of its rocks. And he said, my wife and I, we bought a plot of land in order to build a, a country home. And the land came with some big boulders, and we knew when we bought the land, we're going to have to move the big boulders in order to build. And so we rented the equipment and we got rid of the big boulders. But in the process, we, we recognized uh, that there are a whole lot of kind of medium-sized rocks that had to be removed as well. So we had to go back through the land and take out the medium-sized rocks. And in, in the process of doing that, we, we noticed there were a number of kind of smaller but still significant stones. And so we had to go back through it again. And then eventually we just realized this entire field is rocky, and and we're never going to be done picking up rocks. And he said, that's like uh, the sanctification process of a Christian. When we become followers of Jesus, we and everyone around us is uh, aware of some of the big boulders in our life. Maybe you got to stop swearing or uh, get get freed from an addiction, Uh, stop lying, cheating, something like that. Uh, but when, when we deal with those, and we, uh, it's then that the Holy Spirit in his graciousness shows us some of the other things, right? And he just, fortunately, the Spirit of God never shows us, you know, at least in my experience, he doesn't show us everything that's wrong with us all at once or we would get completely overwhelmed. But you get that, you know, you get that one thing that you think is the only thing in your life that's wrong, and you kind of deal with it, and then he gently shows you something else. And it's a never-ending process. So what we're talking about today is the role that we play in each other's lives in the sanctification process. Uh, God knew what he was doing when he established the church. If you desire to grow as a Christian, uh, then get involved, deeply involved in a local church. There's a reason the Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Uh, the community, the church community, is a, uh, it's a tremendous force for sanctification in our lives. We, we have an important role to play in each other's lives. We can accelerate each other's sanctification. We can help each other get unstuck spiritually when we get stuck. We can strengthen each other's faith. And that's uh, 
what our Bible story is about today. So we've been studying uh, the, the book of 1 Thessalonians, written by Paul, Silas, and Timothy. It was actually a letter written to the brand new church in Thessalonica. Thessalonica was the capital city of Macedonia at the time, and, but it was a brand new church. Paul and Silas and Timothy wished they could actually be there, but such persecution had broken out uh, against the Christians that they'd been kicked out of town. And so they had to kind of uh, encourage the church from a distance. This is a, this is a church that uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy are very proud of. Right at the beginning of their letter, they say, We are always remembering God for you, thanking him for your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus. He says, you you are such a great church, you've become an example for all the Christians in Macedonia and Achaia, Greece. Uh, This is an impressive church. And yet, there are people in that church who uh, are idle, who are faint-hearted, who are weak, who are stuck spiritually. And, and Paul, in, in our text today, uh, encourages the, the church to, uh, to take care of those people, to help them get unstuck spiritually. And you know what? Uh, sometimes that's us. Uh, we all get stuck spiritually sometimes, and we desperately need our brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside us uh, and help move us forward spiritually. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is the last message on uh, 1 Thessalonians. Next week, uh, my brother Scott will be here, and he's going to preach on uh, three New Year's resolutions from the Gospel of John. And if you close your eyes, you'll just think it's me, so it'll be great. The week after that, uh, January 10th, is a special Sunday. Uh, Jason is going to do a concert, the whole, the, the entire service. And he used to do this. He used to travel around churches. He did this for four years. And, uh, and he, he sings many of his own songs and some congregational worship and uh, weaves his story through it. So that should be wonderful. And then on January 17, we'll start a new series uh, and I'm going to, it's called Daybreak, Help When We Find Ourselves Depressed. And so probably a timely, uh, a good series in a, a, at the right time, right? Right in the darkness. Uh, help When We Find Ourselves Depressed. And so I'm excited about that. I've been wanting to uh, address that topic for a long time. And uh, so we've got a good, we've got some good things uh, lined up. In front of us. Let me read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, 
For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. We could do an entire series on, uh, on these verses. Because he sort of uh, packs into the end of his letter uh, kind of everything else. We're going to focus today, however, just on verse 14. In verse 14, uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy identify three uh, categories of Christians who are stuck and talks about what the, the rest of the church, what the, the whole church could do to help them get unstuck spiritually. So let me reread verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, uh, two things I want to note. First off, he started with, we ask you, now he's at, we urge you. So this is important. We urge you, brothers. And by brothers, he's not just talking to the leaders of the church. Uh, He's talking here to the whole church, the congregation. So this is God talking to all of us saying, uh, I urge you. Here here is the role that you can play. Here's what you can do to help my church be healthy, to help my people whom I love get unstuck spiritually. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So let's talk about uh, three categories of Christians. Uh, All of us have been there uh, in one of these categories at some time or another. And thank God for those who have come alongside me and helped me get unstuck when I'm there. The first group is the idle, an idle person, an idle Christian. Uh, What does it mean to be idle? I asked that of my girls, and they, they talked about uh, a car idling. I thought, that's a great picture, a car idling. An idling car has the power to move. It can go somewhere. The problem is it's not in gear. An idle person has the power to be productive, but they don't have the will. They don't, they're not putting their life in gear. And then this is tragic because uh, you're, you're wasting your life. You're not, you're not uh, being all that you can be. God gave you talents, time, treasures. He gives you power to go somewhere and do something, and you're just uh, sitting on your hands. Apparently, in Thessalonica, there were uh, Christians who were being idle. And uh, Paul... In his next letter, in 2 Thessalonians, he kind of ratchets up the rhetoric, and he gets quite strong. I want to read this to you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brothers. Boy, he's gone from we ask to we urge to we command. He's put on his apostle of Jesus Christ authority hat. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Now, it was not because we do not have that right. In other words, as as apostles, when we were preaching the gospel in your city and when we were leading your church, 
uh, we have the right to ask you to support us financially, but we chose not to uh, exercise that right. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Boy, they thought it was important that the Christians in Thessalonica uh, see them working hard, toiling, laboring day and night, being productive, being constructive, leveraging their lives fully for the gospel. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. If you're not being uh, productive with your time and energy, you're going to find something to do. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Uh, Paul did not want Christians to be takers but givers. Not being busy bodies, but being busy. Contributing to society, contributing to the church. It's a big deal. Uh, and so, why? I've thought to myself, you know, why might someone be idle? Well, you might just be lazy. And uh, that's not honoring to God, being lazy. But I think there's uh, another reason someone might be idle that might be um, even more tragic. An idle person basically says, there is nothing I'm passionate enough about to motivate me to discipline myself and to do anything. I just don't care enough about anything. I'm not interested enough about anything. I'm, I'm not passionate enough about anything. And, and I just think as a Christian, you think, wait a second. You've got friends and family and, and neighbors and people in your city who don't yet know Jesus. You've got a church that's you know, new and growing and, and you're not, that doesn't motivate you enough to order your life and get off your hands and, uh, and start working. It's basically saying the things of God don't move me. And the plight of the unsaved doesn't uh, move me. And, and I think that's why it is, uh, I think that's why it is offensive to God. Why it is a tragedy. And why uh, the scriptures are so uh, hard on this. Right? God doesn't want apathetic people. He, he wants people who uh, care. Care about his mission and care about other people. And so... If you're idle, what do you need from us? Or if I'm the idle person, what do I need from you? Well, admonish the idle. I don't need to be enabled. If a man's not willing to work, don't let him eat. That's Paul saying, you know, the, the church provided for the needy, right, within its community. They had, uh, you know, daily distribution of the bread. And that was for people in need. When someone is in truly in need, the church is ridiculously compassionate and is supposed to be giving, giving, giving. But when somebody is unwilling, they're in need not because you know, they, they can't, but because they won't. Paul says, if you're not willing to work, you're not, we're not going to feed you. We're not going to enable that kind of idleness. So I remember uh, when I was at Faith Christian Community, Randy Gunther 
uh, was in charge of benevolence. But periodically he would ask me, he would consult with me when he had a, 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 a um, tickly case. And I remember one time he said, Mike, uh, I've given help to this family a number of times, but I've become convinced that the, the guy uh, just really doesn't want to work. And he's passing up opportunities to work because they're somehow beneath him, right? And then he keeps coming to the church. And so he said, I recommend we cut him off. I said, okay. And so Randy had to have that conversation. Uh, we're no longer going to support your family financially because we consider you idle. And uh, you're now, you'll become a, you become a taker, and that's not healthy. So what, do, what is admonishing? Admonishing is to correct. It's to say, that's inappropriate. That behavior doesn't honor God. You need to change. That's, that's what it means to admonish. And so an idle person needs the rest of us to, to say, hey, that's not acceptable. We're not going to enable you to do that, and we're going to exert uh, godly pressure in your life to uh, challenge you to be productive. <coughs> All right, there's the idol. Second category of person is the faint-hearted. A fa- what is a faint-hearted person? If they're faint-hearted, their heart's about is in danger of stopping. Right? They're they're about to give up. A faint-hearted person is timid. They're gun-shy. They're fearful. They're the opposite of bold. And what does a faint-hearted person need? Do they need to be admonished? No, they don't need to be admonished. Hey, buck up, right? Stop being timid. Start, you know. Sometimes people have encouraged my faint-heartedness with that, and I don't like that. Suck it up. I can't stand the suck it up word. Suck it up. Like, my leg's broken. Suck it up. So, no, they don't need to suck it up. They need encourage. Encourage the faint-hearted. The faint-hearted person is like the car without gasoline. Uh, the person's got it in gear and they're, they've got their foot down, uh, but there's just nothing to run on. The, it, they're on fumes. It's about to completely stop. They need someone to fill up the gas tank. They need someone to pour courage into them. Encourage the faint-hearted. And sometimes we've got to come along, our brother and sister in Christ, who is faint-hearted, and give them some of our courage. Pour some of our faith back into them. Two stories. One, Sabrina, when she was a senior in college, she, she, she got this idea to start a, a ministry to high schoolers called Sojourn. And she believed that this was a God-given vision, and she... Uh, she was a leader in, in college, head of her, uh, president of her kind of campus, Christian campus group. And so she got some of her friends to partner with her. Uh, that summer, they, they devoted a lot of time and energy uh, remodeling a warehouse and getting, getting the ministry up and, and ready so that when the fall came, they could, uh, Sojourner could just be a, a great outreach to high schoolers. And then it just all fell apart and it never materialized. And Sabrina said that event took her from going, being courageous and bold 
too faint-hearted. And for quite a while, she just uh, didn't attempt anything for the Lord. And she was sitting around. And she said that uh, she, she took, a little while later, she took a uh, precept Bible study on the covenants. And it was that precept Bible study that reminded her, God loves me. And she'd actually gone so far as to begin to doubt the, the love of God for her. Otherwise, why would he have allowed her to you know, mis, misread his will? Why would he have allowed this, uh, this thing she was doing for God's kingdom to collapse? And, and that precept Bible study was another Christian uh, pouring courage back into her. And now look what God has her involved in, right? But sometimes we're faint-hearted. And we need God's people to, to uh, pour some courage into us. Another story, uh, a guy, he was uh, 19 years old. He was interning at his church. He was uh, feeling, you know, feeling used by God, super excited. He was in a relationship he was really happy with, like the girl. And then she rejected him. And it hit him like that does most 19 and 20-year-olds, right? And uh, really shook his confidence. And it, to such an and it affected his ability to uh, minister uh, to the extent that the pastor of the church uh, in which he was interning noticed and, and took him aside and said, hey, you know, I've, I, I've noticed, I don't know if he used the words, but I've noticed your faint-heartedness, and I want to encourage you. And he read, the, he read this young man out of 1 Samuel chapter 16. He said, here's the story. Uh, Samuel, the prophet, God has told Samuel, I'm taking the, the crown off of Saul's head and I'm going to give it to another. And Samuel loved Saul. Samuel was the one that had anointed Saul's head with oil, crowned him king. And it was a, it was a big blow to, Saul, uh, to Samuel to see Saul fail and to see God fail. Uh, remove his favor. Verse 16, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And this pastor said, uh, Son, I think you need to fill your horn with oil and go. God has something new uh, and obviously better for you. And this young man, uh, that filled his heart with courage, made a difference. And actually in um, many situations since then, when he's been disappointed with one door closing or uh, something unexpected happening, uh, he's referred back to this, fill your horn with oil and go. Uh, God's not done with pouring good stuff into our lives, right? So some of you, you might be faint-hearted today. And what God wants you to hear is, I'm with you. I've got everything in your life is in my control. I'm working it out for good. Trust me. Fill your horn with oil and go. Isaiah 35, verse 3, we read, Strengthen the hands, strengthen the weak hands. And make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. 
He'll come and save you. You're feeling uh, beaten up in this world. I mean, those Thessalonian Christians, some of them were faint-hearted because they'd been put in prison. Some of the Christians, it appears, were killed. Uh, they were, society was persecuting them. Some of them had been kicked out of their families. They'd lost their jobs. Uh, and, and they were struggling with the question of, is it worth it? And they had to be reminded, you know what? At the end of the day, uh, God is the victor and you're on his side, and it will be worth it. Be strong, be courageous, fear not. So we admonish the idle, we encourage the, the faint-hearted, and then the third group of per- people uh, are the weak. Now, back to the car illustration. Um, the weak people, they have a will. They, they want to but something's broken. They just can't. So I think about a car that's got a flat tire. And you can have it in gear. You can have a tank full of gas. You can foot down. But, you know, you're not going to go anywhere because you've got a flat tire. You need somebody uh, with a new tire to come alongside and help you. And in our midst, there are always within a church some people who are weak. They have a, they have a strong faith, a strong will, uh, but but they need help. And that help can be a, uh, a financial help. Uh, maybe they've lost their job uh, and they want to work. They're looking hard, but they can't. Maybe they can't work. You know, they've been injured uh, or something. And maybe it's a, uh, maybe it's physical. And so they need, you know, they're going through a surgery or something and they need us to come alongside and provide meals and shovel the snow for them pick them up so they can come to church and, and get to work. Maybe they're a single parent uh, and, and they need, they need a, maybe it's a single mom and she needs a godly man to come along and provide some, um, some male Christian influence in the life of her children. And sometimes, the, sometimes it's a spiritual weakness uh, where they need taught. Or I, just, I think last week we had uh, Priceless, right? And there are these uh, some women who are caught up in the sex trade. Uh, and getting out of that, uh, sometimes they don't have the power to do that. And they need others to come alongside them and help them fight the legal battles and to provide them some uh, a safe place to go and, and counseling and somebody who can help walk through, with them through the, uh, the governmental red tape. Or crisis pregnancy or community pregnancy center today um, where... There are some women who want to do right, but they don't know where to turn. They've got a, a pregnancy they, they weren't prepared for. They're not sure how, you know, if, if I bring this baby into the world, what in the world? Uh, and so they need uh, people to come alongside them and say, this is possible. We can do this together. And so there are, sometimes we're the weak person, right? And when we're in a position of weakness, we need uh, the strong within the community to come alongside and help us and help us. And hopefully, you know, oftentimes it's a temporary help and then we get back up and we're strong again. And, and then sometimes, uh, sometimes that weakness lasts a lifetime. And I tell you, that's a strain on a church community, isn't it? I know that. Um, but yet God calls us to that. When somebody is a part of the community, if their weakness is for a lifetime, so must be our help. 
One more, uh, two points, and I conclude. Uh, number one, I want to say this. Our, our culture today, we live in an independent society, right? Uh, this assumes some holy meddling. You know, to admonish somebody? I mean, my goodness, in our society, don't, do not pretend to ha- be able to speak into my life, do, to correct me, uh, to tell me that my behavior is out of line or is unhealthy. Come on, you can't do that. Who do you think you are? And yet God says when somebody is, you know, joins a church, when they're a member of the church, uh, we, we have to take responsibility for each other. Uh, and we, he, God wants us to lovingly and, but, and gently correct. When somebody, it's this idea of, you know what, uh, you're not, you know, just all by yourself. You're part of us. And we're called to care for each other. And that's a, that, that is a sh- mental shift we have to make as it regards people in the church. Um, one for all, all for one, all, one for all, right? We're like musketeers. Uh, we care for each other. And, and people's, you know, uh, we grieve with those who grieve. We celebrate with those who celebrate. Uh, we encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, admonish the idle, and, and of course, when any other sins in our lives, we gently correct. Finally, let me focus in on this last statement. Be patient with them all. Be patient with them all. Why? Because we're all in process. And uh, who you are today, you're not going to be that same person five years from now, ten years from now. Uh, Marie, I forget her name, she, she gives this illustration. She said, a man uh, bought a house and it had a tree in the backyard. It was winter time when he bought the house and, and so he didn't think anything about the tree. Yeah, it's a tree. Springtime came and all of a sudden this tree began to bud and, and it had these beautiful pink flowers. And, and the guy thought, ah, this tree is... Kind of a cool tree. Look at those pretty flowers. I'll be able to enjoy the flowers all year long, all summer long. But quite quickly, the wind blew and the flowers got scattered across the yard. And now he's like, what a mess. And uh, it's lost all its flowers. That was short-lived. Stupid tree. Well, summer progresses. And and all of a sudden, these little green fruits, they are about the size of of a nut, a walnut. He picks one off and he bites into it. He's like, that's terrible. I'm going to cut this tree down when the winter time comes. This is a worthless tree. Well, then the fall comes, and all of a sudden that tree produces the big, red, juicy apples. And sometimes uh, we engage with Christians in process, and uh, they're going to, God has begun a good work in them. They're going to have the juicy, delightful fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and sometimes we demand that too early and we despise them while, you know, they are growing. They're just not fully developed. And so we need to have uh, a patience. We want people to be patient with us, right? And we need to be patient with each other. Uh, the same, you know, they might be have a little bit of a grating personality right now, but they'll sweeten up uh, in Christ. So let's view each other as in process.
Let's pray. How, how do you need to pray? What do you need God for? Let's be silent and you just cry out to God who hears you. You have need of him. You have need of his Holy Spirit to produce in you uh, that, that spiritual fruit. Right now, just cry out to him. God, we know that when you tell us to be patient with each other, it's because you are patient with us. And I pray that we would just uh, revel in your patience. The kindness of the Lord leads to repentance. You're not in a rush. You've begun a good work in us. You will be faithful to complete it. Thankful for that, Lord. Uh, thank you for your patience. And, and it draws us to you. We don't run from you in our imperfection. We come to you with our brokenness and say, Heavenly Father, heal us.